Welcome back to Chasing the Nimbus. I am Nimu, and this is my co-host. It's Moopy! Here, every week, we spin a wheel containing over 100 anime. Whatever that wheel spins on, we must watch. If we refuse, we must instead spin the punishment wheel, containing the most horrific anime abominations that can be found in the depths of the internet. This might be the closest we will ever get to the punishment wheel without actually landing on it. This is episode 6, and we will be covering the movie... If you could call it that, Violence Voyager. You can find all previous episodes of the show itself on the Nimu YouTube channel. Are you excited to talk about Violence Voyager? I'm very excited, and I must apologize. I'm going to struggle to get an hour out of this, I'll be honest. I, yeah. I can talk for this a long time, but it definitely didn't belong in our normal wheel. It's It was punishing. It's punishing in many ways. Basically, what happened was movie suggested this, and it was on like an unrefined list. And I read the name in between like two normal anime, and I kind of just assumed that it was like some generic shit. Violence Voyager is a cool name. Well, that's why I thought it was gonna be like a normal anime. <laughs> yeah, I kind of snuck that one in because it's like my weird art shit. And... Well, you didn't even sneak it in. It was like the only name I didn't check. It just like looked good, so it landed on there. Yeah, it looked good, and it is good. Before we even get into the review itself, I want to say that this is one of, if not the most extreme things we'll be covering, as it's a blatant B-movie horror homage. So if you're sensitive to that sort of thing, or just aren't interested right now, feel free to click off the video. Answering this quickly, on a scale of 1 to 10, how high would you rank this in terms of weird and grotesque? Who, me? Uh, I think I would rank this a 8. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Wow, really? An 8 out of 10? Sure. I've seen Weirder and Grotesker, but it's up there. It's not, um, what's the one? A Siberian war it's film? Not a, it's not a Serbian film, no. Yeah, it's not that one, and it's not Human Centipede, probably. No, I think there's like a couple of steps you could go more extreme. I mean, it's all filtered through the lens of how you actually are watching what is happening. I think it's, well, we'll talk about it. There are things that make it feel more jarring and more extreme, but depending on the lens through you, you know, the context that you're viewing it in, it can feel more or less, you know, frightening and off-putting. From the get-go, I can say I wasn't personally a fan of the contents within the film itself, and I, I really do like Strange Anime, but we'll get into that as we go along. Before we get into the first part of the review, I do want to have a brief discussion on something I didn't write out, but... Does the violence and what is depicted not land with you because of the comedic elements or because of the odd animation style? Um, it's hard to say because... What do you mean by land? Land? What, what does it mean to land? To yeah, that was bad wording. Let's say, does the violence feel the same as if it was a live-action movie with you? No, it do absolutely does not because I'm staring at pieces of paper with, like, goop on them. Like, if this was a live-action movie with the same comedic undertones and everything, like a perfect replication, I feel like that guy should be on a watch list, but I feel mm. like this guy should be on, like, a lesser watch list. I think he should just be in, like, a watch room. Yeah. <laughs> just, like, we can, he's, like, he's somewhere on observation. We're just making sure he doesn't hurt anyone or hurt himself, but he's probably going to be able to, like, go out and do stuff in his daily life. I don't think the FBI it needs to watch him that closely. It's better if he plays with popsicle sticks than does <laughs> yeah. whatever other people like him want to do. Exactly. He's kind of taking care of the problem by just being in his little room playing with popsicle sticks. 
I kind of feel like yeah. that about the author of Chainsaw Man. He's like, uh -huh. every time there's news about him, he's like, oh yeah, he cosplays as a three-year-old girl. Or yeah. like, some other weird shit. So it's just like, yeah, I'd just rather have him drawing Chainsaw Man. Yeah, it's like, these guys have their outlets, and thank God that they do, is sort of how they feel about the creator. Because we haven't gotten to it yet, but he made another movie that I've also watched, and holy shit, we'll talk about we'll get to that. Do you want to talk about that, or you want to talk about that at the end of the episode? We can get to that later. I think we should talk about that at the end. Okay, that sounds good. It, it adds some context that I think will be interesting once we know more about what this movie is. Alright, so I'm going to send you a link. Go ahead and pull up the first article. Yes. Let me know when you have it up. Okay. Is that your new voice? That's my reading articles voice. Yeah, I'm really excited. <laughs> That's full of anticipation. To start off our review of this film, I think it's best to explore the creator himself and his unique art style. This is an article by the name of Geki Mission, Japan Takes a Post-Ghibli Leap into Another Dimension. It is written by James Balmont and can be found on the Guardian website. While we don't agree with or endorse the entire article, it'll give you a background on Ujicha and why people have taken to the novelty of his creations. We'll be stopping throughout the article to give our own commentary as we go through it. So let's go ahead and give it a read. Let's go. Take the wheel, Moopy. Uh, I'm reading this? Yep. Oh, goody. All right. Uh, Geki Nation. Japan takes a post-Ghibli leap into another dimension. Uh, all right. We'll start with Japanese animation is the envy of the globe. From Pixar to Ardman, studios the world over ape its dazzling variety and astonishing creativity. Yet it also finds itself at a crossroad. Now master director Hayao Miyazaki has left the stage. Where will... Well, he hasn't... Well, he has another movie coming out soon. His last movie just came out, like, yeah. a couple weeks ago in theaters. It's very good. This is from 2018. Oh, 20, this is from 2021. All right. Yeah. Uh, where will the next Japanimation genius come from? As it turns out, the country's most exciting works aren't coming out of Disney-sized production powerhouses such as Miyazaki's Studio Ghibli, but from the desk underneath a bunk bed at a family home in Kyoto. This sounds like they're so, writing about me. This part is... That's funny. You live in a trash can. Yeah. So, what do you feel about the opening paragraph? Like, the tone um, of it? I mean, this is written for like british nerds who like don't know who don't know you're not supposed to still call it japanimation so i think there's gonna be some broad strokes here in high school there was an anime club and they said on their little flyer for it they said come celebrate the slur like jap culture with us what? Yeah. Yeah, and I had to literally tell them, because I do have, like, a couple of my family members are Japanese. I yeah. told one of my friends that was in it, I was like, I know you don't mean anything by it, but it does, like, come off pretty pretty wild, because I know you... Yeah. It would be one thing if they weren't racist, but they they have, like, weeb racism, you know what I mean? So it's like, just chill out. Just call it anime. It's fine. Yeah, everyone's always trying to, like, have, like, a cool catchphrase that somehow fits the word J Japan in there. But a lot of the words start with A-N that they're also trying to fit it in there with. So they just end up being, like, if you read this wrong, it reads, like, <laughs> it reads like something it shouldn't be. Um, I'm, I'm old enough to remember as a kid. I was, yeah, I was, like, maybe 12 or 13 when they used to run commercials, like, on, like, I don't know, some just sci-fi channel or something and they would have commercials for Japanimation and it would be like VHS's that would look like the shittiest anime ever to come out. 
uh, and they were all like the too hot for TV Japanimation like videos. And I was like, this is like, something's wrong here, <laughs> but I'm like a 12 year old, so I don't really know what it is. Yeah, they were probably for uh, Central Park Media, right? Yeah, it was Central Park Media, most likely. Yeah, if you don't know what Central Park Media is, it was like a company based out of New York, and um, they did all the anime through the 80s and 90s, and they would just do the worst dubs with like porno music, and they would yeah. also pick the worst anime titles to do as well. Super shitty animes to give super shitty dubs. <laughs> yeah, every now and then, like, you would get something good to slip through, but... yeah. For the most part, it was all trash quality, but it was like the only thing people had access to at a certain time, or at least access to something you could just like see, oh, see a commercial on normal TV and like write in or like, you know, call in and get the thing. You didn't have to go to a convention and talk to like eight weirdos in like a basement to get what you were looking for. Yeah, go ahead, read the second one. All right, this, uh, I'll continue from that last paragraph. This auteur goes by the mononym Ujicha named after the distinctive green tea grown in the fields near Uji, Kyoto, where he grew up. And, like the verdant plantations that were the backdrop to his childhood, Ujicha's work, too, is rich with the kind of warm, bright tones you might find on the cover of a children's storybook, with up to 3,000 lovingly illustrated hand-sized props crafted by hand for both of his first, uh, no, for both of his two feature films. His work is certainly painstaking, but it's the unique hybrid animation style that is unlike anything else out there. All right, so, sorry, we haven't actually talked about what we what this is. So this is the chance to say right now, we watched stick figures on popsicle sticks for the most part. This movie is uh, still images of drawings that are put on sticks and kind of bop, 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 moved around the diorama set scene backdrops. Uh, so everything is 2D with the animation, quote unquote, being the physical movement of pieces of paper. And it's more like puppetry than animation, but it's video too. So, you know, it's video, it's filmed. Yeah, you, this could be the equivalent of like a Midwestern Protestant church puppet show, mm -hmm. but with like a J-horror twist on it, basically. Mm -hmm. And a lot of puppets. Yeah. And what they're talking about, like the color palette, mm -hmm. none of these images would like not fit into a Hensel and Greta storybook or whatever, right? Yeah, they're very storybook. I, ha I can say... I know artists in the New York art scene, maybe not the scene, but they are artists who live and work in New York, uh, who make art very reminiscent of this, minus the filming and 3,000 handmade drawings that are filmed and then burned in various shit. But this style is something that I have seen people draw and paint in, which is kind of like a storybook, fairy tale, fucked up, uh, but like illustration style, I guess you'd say. It's not really like an art movement or art style, but it's like, yeah, fanciful illustration, brightly colored with weird, surreal, fucked up shit going on. It's definitely a trend, an art style trend. This has always been a thing following the like simulacra and simulation cycle of storybooks because a lot of them originally had seemingly messed up origins or whatever. You're like, oh, actually, Humpty Dumpty, Humpty Dumpty isn't woke, it's evil. And it's like, okay, whatever. How did they put all the pieces back together again? Um, how did Humpty Dumpty put all the pieces back together again? He did it Number using four. unpaid labor. <laughs> you, of course, get the modern iterations of this with, like, yes. Venture Time and shit like uh -huh. that. Uh -huh. So, this has always been a thing. It's nothing special. It's just kind of cool to see it with yeah. um in this context 
with the mo the amount of painstaking work and like dedication it takes to make a movie like this. I will say one thing that often took me out of the weirdness and the horror of what was happening on the screen was me looking at the drawings. Because the way that this is filmed, the camera is very close to these drawings and you can see the the brush strokes, the individual handmade, you know, quality of them is very visible as the the camera focuses on different elements in this on the screen sometimes because it's such um uh, it's such a zoomed in tight shot so a slight you know change in the focal length will bring the it'll make the drawing feel very close to you so you feel like you're looking at the tiniest little brush strokes and idiosyncrasies of the hand the, you know the handmade quality of it it's it's cool that part really i sometimes got distracted by the horror by that part yeah, I have not seen other movies in this style ever, to be honest. So no. this might be like one of the best ones of this style. I have no idea. So it's the best of one. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it's very unique. I I know a lot of weird movies, and I've seen very few things like this. A rough guiding point might be the stop motion cutout animation of Monty Python or Early South Park, but Ujitra's style goes much further with a penchant for pocket-sized wildlife photography. The author himself stating. I really do like insects. It's clear where his influences lie. Uchicha's cardboard miniatures are filmed in real time on a store-bought Fujifilm camera and moved by hand across richly textured backdrops. Like a cross between a punch and Judy puppet show in a children's pop-up book, these productions boast real dynamism as fire, water, light, and smoke allied with cardboard, creating the kind of theatrics usually reserved for live-action cinema. I thought I thought all the physical things happening to the pieces of paper filmed were really cool, actually. That part is like that definitely I mean it's not a it's not like he's a genius for like burning the paper or putting some slime on it or whatever, but it's it's pretty unique. It makes it stand out in a way that I don't see even other things where there's, you know, hand drawn puppets or something or handmade puppets, it's like most of the time there's sort of this sacred quality. Like you don't fuck with the puppets themselves in the process of making the story. Mm -hmm. In at least in a way that's like you know that puppet that's done that's on that was on fire <laughs> you're not getting that one back it's cool it makes it feel very visceral when they get set on fire or the, the slime gets on them or they're yeah the physical quality of them is cool I think it's really interesting uh, but I don't think it's South Park or Monty Python really it's kind of more South Parky I guess the first couple seasons right yeah maybe but, like the very first season yeah but not Monty Python really I mean there's a hand drawn quality to that. You know, those interstitial things by that animator guy, but not really like that that much. Um, one thing I thought was really cool, and we'll talk about this when we talk about the other movie that he did. But the first two minutes of the of the first movie he did called Burning Buddha Man. Yeah, uh, they have a sequence where they show you the diorama with the cutouts before the movie starts. It's like a little intro to the movie. It's like. Here is the here are the physical objects that we're going to use to tell you this story, and I think that's really cool. The beginning of the beginning and the end of the movie both do that, where the end, last minute, and the credits like kind of scroll over the little puppets, and then the beginning of the movie, there's a woman who is an actress. I don't know who she is, but she's just some lady. But she is holding up the dioramas and placing them in the layers that they were used to get the first shot of the movie, and it makes you realize that how they shot these is it's not the backgrounds aren't flat. They're multi-layered like a diorama. There's like a foreground, middle ground, and background screens that are background uh, little pictures. And then the puppets themselves move in, in between the middle ground and foreground uh, pieces of paper. 
and the the woman sets them up piece by piece by piece and then the opening scene transitions into that and that's a really cool and it makes it feel really physical like you get the feeling for what you're watching they almost directly replicated what like a storyboard for it would look like yeah yeah it's like they took the storyboard they showed you the storyboard someone drawing it and then the first scene of the of the anime starts as the storyboard becomes colored and starts moving like that would be it's, it's really cool yeah, it's less impressive, this goes back to an earlier point, mm-hmm. of how he's willing to deface the art or whatever, but um, it's the way that it's shot that makes it interesting. Like, he's yeah. doing it for a purpose, but yeah. there is also something to being willing to just burn shit, and I do admire that, too. Yeah, it, it, it adds. It's like, doing, it's like you have a special effects like warehouse, but at micro scale. Yeah, also, I mean, he's he's the one sitting there drawing all this stuff, so it's it's very different from, like, your Marvel movie. It's like, oh, he blew up a random guy's car or whatever. But yeah, it's like... He sat there while a computer compiled for four hours to make one car blow up. Yeah, you're making your thing, and then for this one single shot, you have to burn all your work that you did in front it's of It's pretty you. cool. I mean, it's a very... I mean, that does add to the visceral quality of the gore and the weird shit that happens, because you can mm-hmm. feel, like, the precariousness of this piece of paper like getting melted or whatever is happening to it it makes them it makes the people feel flimsy and vulnerable because they are just pe- little pieces of paper that can be burned or melted or and i think that adds a lot to the climax of the film no spoilers but that really does add a lot to it yeah i think so should we continue Uji- yeah ujicha explains that gekimation derived from the japanese word gekika used to describe adult animated manga started in 1976 a decade before the 30-something Kyoto Saga Art University graduate was born with a TV series called Cat-Eyed Boy. What is this run-on sentence? Just make this two sentences. It's a really long one. I, I've seen five seconds of Cat-Eyed Boy. I know what it is. <laughs> it is what he said. It's like a weird animated thing. It's I think it's supposed to be scary horror something, or it's weird. It's a Cat-Eyed Boy. He's got a funny cat face. He's like a, he's like a kid with a cat face. I'm going to look it up real quick. All right. Oh yeah, this it's, does look it's insane. Very similar, right? It's like the it's, yeah, it's yeah, little pieces of paper moving around on a screen. Yeah, this looks very much like his own style. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's. I mean, he's fitting. He's fitting into a you know, uh, a series of people who've made this weird animation. But he definitely is the culmination of a lot of these ideas. I think they wanted to do something different. He says. But aside from a handful of music videos, such as Dinky's Group 2008 single Mononoke Dance, the style fell into obscurity. It was just forgotten about Ujicha says I wanted to revive it. At first glance, Ujicha's films may resemble childlike fantasies, but the famous five they are not. The Burning Buddha Man and Violence Voyager offer something wholly more disturbing. They are visceral Lovecraftian stories built on grotesque Cronenbergian body horror whose discomforting feeling is enhanced by the hybrid animation style. As the trailer for the former suggests, they combine art and nightmare. Do you have any thoughts on the last two paragraphs? Uh, yeah, I totally agree on the Cronenbergian aspect. I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking about that, but I definitely... I, I definitely would say, like, yeah, Lovecraftian, weird horror. Especially after seeing Burning Buddha Man, it's very Lovecraftian. Alien, monster, weird people, body bodies getting melted and stuff. Yeah, Cronenbergian definitely, I think, is accurate. Um, I mean, people are people are very easily uh, changed from human normal human body to like weird, fucked up, 
hybrid monster thing. I, definitely Cronenbergian. That's like, I feel like that's a mainstay, which is like the body is, the body is porous and open to being changed in, in many unpleasant and horrifying ways. Have you seen Crimes of the Future? I haven't, but I saw the his son's newest movie, Infinity Pool. That movie is fucking wild. I haven't seen it. I think that Crimes of the Future, like, is a good embodiment of this, where, like, a lot of his movies, like Videodrome and all that, have people yeah. fusing into bigger things, and there's, like, a meaning. Crimes yeah. of the Future, humans are, like, just adapting to a new reality. So yeah. there's just guys with like ears all over their body and stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like well, the thing that is the thing that's happening in Violence Voyager to the kids feels like a Videodrome sort of thing. They're be they're becoming like the the what do you call them? Tokusatsu, like weird monsters from Sentai shows and stuff. They're being they're being turned into the monsters of their from their TV shows. And the ploy for that is the um, amusement park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They That's become they become one with the amusing amusement park attractions, and those are all like yeah, send ups of old you know Sentai show monsters stuff. Yeah, there's something very Cronenbergian about that, which I didn't really think that closely about before. Well, we could probably see some of those aspects later on when we yeah, we'll go through the story. The Burning Buddha Man claims to be the first feature length Gekimation film, taking three years to complete. It is a bizarre, beautiful fantasy in which Buddha statues are given in. H.R. Geiger-esque makeover as Cthulhu-like demons are havoc in Kyoto. The film won by the Excellence Award at the Japan Media Arts Festival in 2013, but it was with follow-up Violence Voyager that Ujicha staked his claim as a creative force. How do you feel about the H.R. Geiger? Uh, you, you haven't seen Burning Buddha Man, right? No idea. It's the movie, it's the other movie this guy made. I watched it this week because I have already seen Violence Voyager, like, Two, a month before we started the podcast. Uh, so I figured, you know, I'll watch Violence Voyager to re-familiarize myself, but maybe I'll, like, check out Burning Buddha Man also just to see what this other thing is. I actually like Burning Buddha Man better. I think you would like it better, too. Uh, the the surrealist, the sur it's more surreal. It's just as violent and crazy and fucking weird. There's some uncomfortable shit with, like, you know, naked people and stuff, but it's it's less young children in Violence Voyager than Violence Voyager. It's, it, and it, but it, it feels like a fever dream, more, even more than Violence Voyager does. It's really fucking crazy. And the H.R. Geiger thing is super accurate. The Buddhas don't look like Buddhas at all. They look like fucking crazy alien monsters. And every person, it's interesting because Violence Voyager, I think is more disturbing and more viscerally felt because the human people in it feel more like drawings of actual little guy people they feel more human and you can tell that when i'm fucked up guy when a person becomes a fucked up monster you can see the difference from in violence voyager you know you can see the the guts hanging out and the eyeballs popping in the when they turn all red you can feel that their skin has been like burned off or something in burning buddha man everyone looks completely fucking weird everyone is so fucking weird looking that it, it's hard to tell what, what the normal is even though there are they start where there are normal people and then there's fucking weird aliens and stuff. Everyone looks fucking crazy. <laughs> when you look at the little turned people in Violence Voyager, you could still tell they're like little kids. Yeah, it's like scary because you can sort of see how close they are to what they were transformed from. Yeah, if anything, the eyes are still the same. Yeah, Burning Buddha, man, is like we're so off in fucking crazy, surreal, wackadoo land that there's not this like the scare. I mean, 
this is really getting into what makes a thing scary, but I think it feels scarier and more weird and uncomfortable in Violence Voyager because the people look more like people and you, you have a, a metric for what normal is to compare to. Because everything's fucking weird in Burning Buddha, man, it's just immediately you're like, okay, everything's a, ma a mess. Everyone's a weird fucking dude. If they say this person's normal, fine, but they look like a fucking monster. Inspired by Jurassic Park in Edogawa Ranpo's The Strange Shell of Panorama Island, Violence Voyager follows schoolboy Bobby and his cat Derek on a whimsical adventure into the wilderness, where they stumble on the strange amusement park that seems to be responsible for a number of disappearances. When this, what initially feels like the Goonies soon takes a more sinister turn, as malformed mutants and formidable combat robots begin melting the flesh of innocent children, in a grotesque hybrid of Westworld and the Fly, it's a mashup of all things he enjoyed in his childhood, says the director from trips to Universal Studios Japan, to horror movies by Lucio Fucci, John Carpenter, and Toe Cooper, to the gory zombie violence of the Resident Evil video game franchise. The amusement park gone eerie scenario is the perfect fit for the strange world of Gekimation. It's like I'm making an attraction myself, Ujicha says, using my own supplies and my childhood experiences. He's working on his third full-length Gekimation feature, but is not planning to alter his working methods or his rich fantasy worlds. I left my parents' home and moved into an even tinier place. Now he jokes, while the backing of major production house, with the backing of major production house, Ujicha may well be on the verge of a mainstream breakthrough. Gekimation has not been well known in Japan, but with Ujicha, it will only become more popular, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that," says producer. Kimitsugo Uno. Okay, any thoughts on the last shitter? Uh, have you ever read The Strange Tale of Panorama Island? No. It's really good. It's actually one of my favorite kind of like weird little comics that I show to people who... Uh, like It's kind of like I introduce it to people who aren't fully into like manga and stuff, like but are like interested, curious, you know what I'm saying? It's a good introduction to like it's a pretty it's a pretty straightforward story like weird scary mystery with some fucked up like hedonistic shit going on on, on the island but it's not super manga-y like you know the tropes of anime and manga and stuff it's kind of its own thing and it's a really cool it's really good the art is beautiful yeah i love it it's uh it's one of my favorite little books that i have it's just like a, it's kind of like it's kind of like an art book but there's there's a comic in there yeah anyways uh yeah it totally feels like a goonies uh, Westworld, the Cronenberg's fly, fly sort of thing. Yeah, I definitely see all those influences coming out in this, and it. But it's very funny because it definitely feels like this guy had a tiny little apartment, and he was like playing around with his little paper doll things and making a full-length movie out of it. That's that speaks to me, and maybe that's why I like this so much because it really resonates with the tiny little DIY hole-in-the-wall production style. Sort of reminds me of people that like would play with wrestlers and had their own like wrestling federation mm. well i think the burning buddha man that one i think is the one i most most directly feel like maybe in another world i could have made this <laughs> you know because I, the way that the people are like the way that the people become statues the way that the statues are melding together there's something really cool about that and i have made art that sort of deals with the, some of the themes of the things that are happening in Burning, Burning Buddha Man. It, sp it spoke to me in a way, even though it was fucking completely mental. 
and there was a stiltedness to parts of it that I thought was kind of it was on purpose like Violence Voyager had this too the dialogue is very like weird like it's all, it feels weird on purpose like Twin Peaks or something um, I don't know if I fully resonate with that personally, but yeah, the art and the themes and the things that are happening with the body, those are all things that I really, really personally am inspired by when I'm making art and stuff. So I really dug Burning Buddha Man. Is it fully animated? It's the same way. It's the same thing as, uh, uh, Violence Voyager. Except we'll for the opening and sequence. throw it on the list just because I'm curious. I think you would like it more than this. Yeah. Anyways, we can move on. All right, I sent you. No, I'm good. We, I think we're gonna go through like two more things. So, uh, there was one thing I, I just remembered. Okay. Uh, every time I read his name, I almost say Uchiha. I do too. I thought it would be funny to just say Uchiha the entire time, but. Anyway, I didn't do that, but I really wanted to. I think Kujicha is a good name for like a enigmatic director. Uh huh. So that was about that was about the author himself, the creator, right? Yeah. No, this one is what. Okay, got it. All right, cool. I got it. It's just hard to explain to an average person what gecumation is or whatever. Yeah, I think it's good to start with gecumation because it's it's even when I say it's little stick figures moving around, you kind of have to spend a little time because it's so not like what we are normal normally used to seeing in animation or movies in general. I think it's worth talking about it because I think it's unique. I think it's I think it's cool that he went back to something from anime of the past and said i want to revive this style i think that's a cool idea like just look at this image like about the layers thing this image has like six layers going on yeah it was really that's what i was talking about with the opening of burning buddha man it was really cool to see how they set that up because there's actually a lot of distance more distance than you would think between the front of that tree and the mountain behind them and then the clouds behind that there's actually like mm, six inches or more between each of those pieces of paper and then the, the dolls are in between them. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but when you put it all on a table and you're filming it so close, the camera is so close to these, it actually becomes quite a big distance. Yeah, it's not like you're flipping through sticky notes. It's making an entire um, pop-out storybook into a full-length animated film. Yeah, it's a diorama, but it's like a foot and a half deep diorama. That's, that's a lot for a diorama. Like, the same way if you made one as a kid with like the beach or something, this is like a big box that this is this is shot within. It's cool. I think the thing it reminds me most of, uh, do you know this artist named William Kentridge? Well, he also makes, he makes video art movies. Some are long enough to be called movie, you know, classified as like a movie or something, but he does series of still drawings and then he'll, it's really interesting because you can the way that he shoots them while he's drawing and erasing the pieces of them that is part of the animation so in between every line that he makes he slides it across the projector or whatever he's using to capture the image to make his like you know it's like stop motion animation or you know, it's really rudimentary hand-drawn animation you know line by line but all of the creation of it as he erases and then adds new lines is visible so when someone walks across the room, you see all of the form, like all the pieces of him drawing the guy, erasing the guy, then drawing the guy, you know, half an inch forward to the right. So it's it feels very, the physical object that you're looking at that's becoming the animation is very in your face. And I think that's really cool. But yeah, William Kentridge for anyone interested in 
animation that is kind of it's less like normal anime where there's a whole studio and people working on computers and stuff and it's more like a guy with pieces of paper that he's moving around and then it suddenly becomes this like enormous tapestry of you know movement and stuff i had to front in the show with the art stuff because i know you had a lot you wanted to talk about yeah i definitely have it's the thing i was most paying attention to more so than the melting children and all that stuff so this is one of those things where if you're actively doing art or have been entrenched with it you're like it's setting off all your markov chains and you're like oh that reminds yeah. me of this and that and, totally. this and that. i definitely felt that watching this and I, maybe that's why my reaction is so different maybe every anyone else except me would be horrified by this weird shit but i'm like damn that looked cool how did you do that yeah, and I mean, I don't have too much to say about the art. I do find it impressive. My artistic level in terms of, like, drawing or whatever is, like, pretty low. It's, like, basic anime uh -huh. sketches or whatever. Yeah. But um, as, like, a video editor, I I see the layers. I appreciate the layers. So, like, that's very yeah. cool. Yeah, and I think maybe it's it, it had more to do with the tech that was available to him. But in Burning Buddha, man, there's much more of a focus on, like, a focus on focus. I don't know what to you know, focusing Direction. the camera. No, no, focusing the, literally the physical action of focusing the camera. I can see what he was doing. You can see, you can't physically see, but if in your brain you can see his fingers rotating the, the focal length of the camera, you know? You know how the foreground or the background becomes blurry and then another part of it becomes in focus? Uh, it's, it. he probably had a less good camera for that, for, for Burning Buddha Man. And the man, it was probably manual focus or a much, uh, a focus a focal length that he had to work a lot harder to get things in focus and things in, in blur and stuff so there's a, more sequences that are longer because you have to wait for the camera to fo focus on the thing he's trying to focus on <laughs> it's interesting the actual physical quality of it becomes more a part of it and i think in violence voyager maybe it's just there was just less depth or there are fewer scenes where it was required or he had just learned to do with less focusing on things than he needed to but it's there's less scenes where you're waiting for the camera to get the guy in focus, and then that's part of the scene. I would implore you, you know, before we get into the meat of the film or the actual subject matter covered, I would implore you if you're artistically minded or whatever, so maybe just watch the film. Obviously, it's going to be edgy or whatever, but like if you could just get over that and look at the art for art's sake, I think you'll get something out of this. I'd agree, absolutely, 100%. Anyway, maybe well, unless you're like a musician or something well yeah the music the music is its own thing it's not very good in my opinion any visual arts though yes yeah any visual arts animation video making it's definitely a i wouldn't say it's really great but it's really unique and that in itself can be good for some people to me it's it's at least worth looking at and this is like slightly off but i think that the fact that one guy is willing to do all this whether he lives with his parents or not like um, if this guy can make this crazy movie, I think you should follow whatever you want to do, too. Because, I mean, this is, like, kind of inspiring. It's pretty inspiring. It's, it's inspiring in how, like, just, like, <laughs> how DIY it feels. It's really just, like, it's such... It's so simple, and it does so much with such simple tools. Yeah, and it's very well packaged, and while he had backing or whatever, I'm sure, the point of the matter is that this guy... This is the type of guy that would do this under a bridge if he had to. Yeah, so what I'm saying he was is that contributing these to like zine festival, like you know, art festivals or something, he'd be doing whatever it took to make this weird shit. It just it seems like he had more backing to make these full-length movies now, and more power to him. Yeah, I would just recommend you 
you know, pursue even your weird thing, because this guy's doing, like, 1800s traveling puppet theater and making something out of it. Yeah, he did Punch and Judy shows, and you can too. Also, what is old is also new in a way, too. If you can... Not you don't have to reinvent the wheel, but if you can bring something that used to be popular that's not anymore, but put a fresh spin on it, people will enjoy it. And there, there's nothing wrong with doing what you love and wearing your influences on your shoulder. Yeah, combining a 100-year-old animation style with like Cronenberg is gonna, <laughs> if that's what you want to do, people are probably gonna be interested because that's really unique. But also, it, it people people have the same interests that this guy probably does. You know, talk to any any group of artists and there's probably going to be somebody who's into like Jurassic Park, Cronenberg, old horror movies, you know, Universal Studios, you know, special effects. That's like lots of people will be into that. It certainly will appeal to people. And then if you just show it to them in a unique way, present it in a style they haven't seen before, people are going to pay attention. Someone's going to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. And even if it doesn't get you monetary value, it will connect you with people that have the similar interests or something. Two idiots will make a podcast about it. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> Alright, did you open the article? Yeah, I'm reading it, yeah. For the recap of the show, we'll be reading from the article, The Poor Boy Had No Idea, Violence Voyager 2018. It is written by Orin Gray and can be read on the Signal Horizon website. Go down to paragraph 7, right above the second image. Got it. All right. Yeah, this starts with just some general stuff about the animation that we already talked about, and then we'll start with the storyline. It says, so what is the storyline exactly? To go into too many specifics would be to spoil some of the fun of Violence Voyager, but it involves two kids on the last day of summer who go on an excursion to the next village over in order to see their friend who transferred schools. On the way, they find a rundown place called Violence Voyager, which is billed as a hands-on amusement park. Um, should we quickly talk about who these kids are? I liked the way you recapped Dura, so I think that that style is good. And well, I'm just gonna say quickly before I'll I'll do that, but before that, I just want to say that the main characters are called Bobby, who is a foreigner in Japan. He's a he's a 12 year old kid, right? He's a young preteen. He is a blonde haired, uh, non Japanese child, and his best friend is this kid named Akun. They are going to this. They, they are in a secluded mountain village, and it seems like their friend who's moved away, they don't have an easy way to go get to him. You know, no cars or whatever. I don't know what time period this is supposed to be, but for whatever reason, they don't have easy access to their friend, and they find a way that's cutting through a mountain, essentially, you know, a mountain trail that leads to the next town over to visit their friend. And then that's when they stumble upon this weird place. All right, that's all I wanted to say. Uh, continue on. The story of the amusement park is simple enough. There are alien robots who have wiped out 80% of the human population, and now those that are left must resist them using uh, must resist them using raincoats to protect themselves from the strong alkaline liquid that the robots use to melt human flesh before they absorb us for nourishment, and fight them with water guns filled with piddle can, a special type of water that can be uh, used to defeat the robots. Um, so, <laughs> the other part of this is that the alarm bells should have been you know, blaring loud and clear for these stupid idiot kids because there's the creepiest motherfucker ever who <laughs> welcomes them to the Violence Voyager amusement park. The dude, like, this guy's shorts are so high. <laughs> like, I mean, it's like they're not regulation. Those shorts should be, uh, you know, he'd get kicked out of school for wearing shorts that high. I have a question. So, Akun, right, and his little brother... What is going on with their foreheads? Did what I the miss fuck? something? I don't know what the fuck. Okay, that is a. 
when I first watched this, I really felt like I was watching the second part of something that I had missed the first part of. It's like, you know, watching 20th Century Boys, but only after the time skip, you know? There's, um, the kids all have weird scars on their bodies. Uh, Akun and his younger brother, whose name I forget, uh, they both have weird, like, grill-shaped scars, like, grids, grid scars on their foreheads. It, it, what the fuck is going on with them? I don't know. Um, and then Akun and Bobby both have really concerning scars on their hands. They're explained later in the movie, but, like, when I first saw the beginning of it, that was, like, the Twin Peaks thing, where, like, you immediately get the feeling something isn't right about these people. Um, I think that's actually an interesting storytelling thing. Like, I think Ujicha, to say his name correctly, uh, this is very intentional, that there's an unsettling aspect to the kids, like, from the very start of the movie. Like, within the first five seconds, you see a weird, fucked up <laughs> scar on this kid's head. And then a minute later, these the Bobby and Akun both have weird scars on their hands. So, like, immediately there's this thing about, like, these, like, the characters have weird bodies. Things are going on, and it's, like, a clue that more fucked up shit is going to happen to their bodies later. Obviously, it's not, like, in the text, but it's all subtextual that, like, you should start feeling uncomfortable pretty early in the movie. Even before any vi real violence happens. Like, there's an off-puttingness to every most of the characters. There's something very off-putting. Like, when this started, I thought Akun's brother was going to do something really fucked up. And it turns out he's just, like, a normal, weird little brat kid. Like, he's the least concerning part of all of this, but I thought at the beginning he was going to do some fucked up shit to them. Uh, and then they just kind of leave him behind because he's like a little nerd. I do like the girl that is perpetually sticking her tongue out. That oh, is yeah. Funny. That's the other thing about this. This is like an Ujicha like, special. Like, this is like a unique calling card of his. Everyone who... Everyone's faces looks really fucked up. Like, when they're talking to each other... Every every character when they're talking, especially, looks like they're screaming or they're moaning or something horrible. Like, someone's like eating... Like, a dog is eating their leg or something. There's no normal facial animations almost for the entire movie. Very few people have normal facial animations. I don't know why he, he decided to do that, but it, it works, right? What were you saying? Sorry. As soon as I saw a girl perpetually sticking her tongue out and a kid whose head got slammed into a George Foreman girl, I was like, dude, I just, I hate you so much. You know, you you knew you knew it was a Moopy special. You knew a Moop, you were going to watch a Moopy thing. Yeah, he looks like he's, like they made waffles on his head. <laughs> also, it's like, I love how it's like, oh, the story of the amusement park is simple. There's aliens, 80% of the human population is wiped out. <laughs> so now you have to wear raincoats and shoot them with a special liquid and squirt. It's just like, oh my god. Well, it's simple if you've watched Power Rangers or something. It reminds me of kids on the playground making up rules to come out really, or something. It really does have that. Yeah, oh, if I hit you with the water, you melt. Like, you're a robot, you die. And uh, this team is the robot team. They're the uh, human team. Yeah. And the worst kid of all, shield. 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 Actually, shield. I have that power, too. Invisible. It's like... And also, I shoot lightning bolt. Lightning bolt. Lightning bolt. All right. Continue, I guess. Also, the park is called Violence Voyager. Like... Yeah. Uh, well, maybe it's... <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's just Violence Voyager. I don't know. It, there's no... Yeah, it's it definitely should tell you something weird is happening. Yeah, the amusement park itself for children is named Violence Voyager. Yeah, everything about this is creepy as fuck. And it's very weird that nobody reacts that way. I mean, it's on purpose, I think, that everyone in the movie doesn't react to extreme violence and gore and creepy, like, dudes with the shorts up, like, up past their balls. It's, like, very strange. Yeah, and the bald guy we're talking about with the shorts, that's who you're talking about, right? Yeah, Mr. Creepy Shorts. So, he is my favorite character. He is the funniest, 
goofiest character in the entire so thing. Fucking goofy. It's also it's one of those things where like it's one of those things where like if if any of the characters was standing even six feet away from him, they'd be like, yeah, this is a creepy motherfucker because he keeps mumbling into him to himself that like, oh yeah, I can't wait to get these kids in the park. He's like a One Punch Man character. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, he is hilarious. He's very funny and fucked up. Yeah, I'll talk about one of my favorite scenes. It's like the most nothing scene, but I'll talk about it later. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. He, he's great. He's so great. All right, we'll continue. Sure, that's a weird amusement park, but the kids are game enough, especially when they learn that they get to pick their own water guns. Naturally, the park itself is a bit of a letdown at first, as the robots are just spring-loaded animatronics that pop up, and the place is both deserted and in disrepair. Uh, <laughs> the part when they show the arsenal of the water guns is pretty funny. Yeah, that is cool. Like, um, Bobby literally picks a super soaker that I had when I was, like, eight. It, li like, almost color for color and shape for shape. It is a water, it's a super soaker that I had. <laughs> we it's watch like, a bunch of different anime movies. We watch his Violence Voyagers. He's a kid with a squirt gun. That's, that's just like me for real, for real. <laughs> literally, yeah. You've been talking about the, the strange, uh, the strange disturbed emo girls. And I'm talking about the kid with the water gun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I'm the stalker cute emo girl for real, for real. You're like, the kid with the water gun. He's got a super soaker. Yeah, so Bobby picks out the most generic super soaker ever. And then Akuin picks out a dolphin that spits water. It's very funny. <laughs> Why did Akuin pick that one? It's so stupid. I would have picked, picked that one. He literally, yeah, he picked the he picked the goofiest one. It's very funny. It's anyway. Cute. Uh, Alright, they've been in the water park. Then the kids find a young girl also dressed in one of the violence Voyager raincoats, who says that she's been there for days, and that she and her boyfriend came together but couldn't leave, kicking off the kids' descent into a weird hell of grotesque science experiments and body horror. All right, the way the girl is laying on the ground, it's the same as the girl with her tongue out and all that stuff. Everyone looks like they're dying, like they've been choked to death, and their tongues are like entire, you know, like, I don't know, pictures of hanged people, their tongues are like all the way out of their mouths, and they're like, like they're longer than you'd think a normal tongue would be. Sure. Everyone's tongue is like that. They all look like they've been strangled to death and their tongues are like a foot and a half out of their mouth. It's really disturbing. Apparently this guy just sees dead people. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, I can't even really figure out what's going on. I think it's just to, it's to heighten, you know? He's like, it's kind of like caricature. It's like everything's like to the farthest degree that a facial emotion can be. Yeah. So instead of like talking with your mouth open, or like yelling at someone, it's like as far wide as a mouth can possibly go. And if someone sticks their tongue out like a weird little nerd kid, their tongue is all the way out. And if someone's like laying on the ground, like, you know, thirsty and they're like, wait, like calling, you know, calling for water, they look like they're dead. They look like a dead person with their tongue lolling out of their mouth and stuff. Yeah, all the emotions are cranked up to the farthest degree they can be cranked up, I think, for the most part. There are very few non-extreme facial expressions. Yeah, if you look up, like, old horror manga from the 50s and stuff, you could see where he takes his inspiration. Yeah, it's like extreme It's like extreme emotion, and, and as far as you can push a facial expression. Whatever the, like, the max setting on the Dark Souls slider, that's, like, everyone's facial <laughs> expression. I think that's the best way I could put it. And, like, Akun's scars, he, like, put this, they had the facial animation, like, on the scarification in Dark Souls character editor all the way up. Anyway, as the film unfolds, there are scads of naked children, strange monsters with weird TV heads, a robot graveyard, violence against animals, a creepy chimpanzee in a portable toilet, a character named Old Man Lucky Monkey, and lots more. Everything feels wrong from the very beginning and never feels any more right, although honestly by the film's climax, even its most grotesque elements have become more familiar than they probably ever could. Yeah, we've skipped over all the early good, good characters. 
Yeah, so that is sort of just the introduction. We'll just take it from there, uh, and we could just flow naturally. Yep. Um, you probably could do this better, so you want to just say, oh, this happens next, then we'll go from there? Well, I did want to quickly, briefly talk about old man Lucky Monkey and his special monkey friend. Sure. Uh, <laughs> every time we met a new character in this movie, I thought they were the person who was going to do the fucked up thing, until I saw the ultimate creepy high shorts wearing, you know, weirdo guy. But until we met that the character who actually does the bad thing, who is the most extreme creepy bad guy, everyone felt like they were the one who was going to be, you know, kidnapping these kids and putting them in, like, you know, a basement or something. It is interesting that you do think that, but the story is, like, pretty straightforward. I I just, like, like I said, though, for me, I was expecting something fucked up from, like, the word go from the very first second. When I saw Akun's fucked up head, I saw their weird ha hand scars, I saw the weird children with their tongues like extremely out of their mouths. Essentially, that's the first scene of the movie. And then Akun's little brother goes, I'm going to do something bad to you guys. Like all of that stuff put me on edge, essentially from the very beginning. And it may be why I wasn't as extremely affected by the movie, because I was on edge from the very beginning. So I was like ready for something. I was like tense from the second this it started. And then when what actually started happening started happening, I was like, OK, at least this is where it's going, you know, and it's not whatever I imagined would be happening. Like, uh, when he meets the mom, who's like, as the movie starts, he meets his family and you get acquainted with the other characters and stuff. I thought, oh, this is gonna be domestic violence. You know, the mom's all fucked up and the dad's like a creepy weirdo who like doesn't talk to his son. And then that didn't happen. So I go, okay, that wasn't the bad thing. They move on and they meet a creepy guy with like a drooling, like radioactive monkey in the bathroom while, while the kid is naked. And then I'm like, okay, it's the fucked up monkey. That's what it's gonna be. And then that's not him. The monkey's fine. He just wanted a banana. But then we meet old man, old man Lucky Monkey who owns the monkey. And I'm like, oh, this fucking guy, that's the fucking guy who's gonna do the fucked up shit. Cause you know, why would he hang out with these kids and let them use his little porta potty and have a creepy monkey in there to scare them? Definitely, he's the one. And then after all that, I was tense and tense and tense and tense. Then we meet Mr. Creepy Shorts. And I'm like, oh, no, got it. It's this one, he's the one. <laughs> so it was like multiple like, you know, cliffs that I was looking over the edge of and thinking I was going to see a creepy, you know, monster man. But then, you know, it was the guy I actually, you know, most, the most warning signals are coming from him. Anyways. Yeah, I think that leading up to that point where he meets the guy, things are so chaotic and yes. insane that you don't know what's going on. So basically they get dragged down to this darker area and a bunch of like these little monsters in the suits start attacking them and like ripping them apart. They all get caught. They all get strung up, uh, stripped down and you're like, oh, they're dead. Turns out the foreigner is still alive, Bobby. So he gets himself down, realizes what's going on. Then he almost gets caught by the main bad guy and his son that he transformed into the thing to save his life. Mm -hmm. And it's one of his friends from school who disappeared that they were looking for, right? Yeah, a friend, the friend who started this entire business. They wanted to visit their friend, uh, Takeshi? Is that, no, that's, uh, Takeshi is the robot son. Right, so the friend that they wanted to visit to do this whole mountain voyage thing, he had also been trapped there. So every, all the characters are here. And he, the, the friend is a full-on robot monster man. He has been fully transformed from child to monster. Yeah, he goes and tries to get Bobby to save the girl. Right. The girl who was the girlfriend they found in the woods was his girlfriend. And now Bobby has to help robot friend save her because she has been kidnapped and she's going to be the 
wife of fucked up robot boy. Right? The, the creepy shorts guy wants to get this girl married to his fucked up son. <laughs> yeah, Bobby and the girl at this point are the only two human kids left. Everyone's either dead or yeah, everyone's either dead or melted or a robot. Yeah, he's like, you're gonna be you're gonna be turned inside out and be a freak like me, so go save the other girl. So he attempts to, but gets caught, and it's kind of weird because you think there might be like a chase or something, but he just gets caught straight Literally, up. Literally, he just gets caught. But there's one thing you forgot. What? He is butt ass naked, and for some fucking reason, he has to put on little tidy whities that belong to the fucked up robot kid. Yeah. Why are they in there? What the fuck is happening? My Where's... favorite part is his reasoning is like, no, you'll blend in with these. So he yeah, puts on the underwear. He's in like a nursery where he keeps the fucked up son. And to blend in with the environment, he wears his little underoos. And nothing comes of it. No, it never comes. Well, it does come back, but again, but it has no relevance. It comes back again one other time. But the only, it has just no relevance at all. Why is the fucking weird underpants in there? What the fuck? When does it come back? Um, the father recognizes him from the blonde hair, and you just see his little undershorts. And then after he's melted, L old man Lucky Monkey <laughs> says you can't wear these underwears anymore because your skin's too fucked up from being melted. And he goes, give me back the underwear. Give me back my underwear. Oh, wow. So tidy whities are a metaphor for losing your humanity. Apparently. I think it literally, yeah. I think you can make the case. I guess to a child, maybe. I don't know. This guy's a retard. I don't think you can make that case to anyone. But it is, it's, <laughs> if I had to, if I had to make up some like, you know, wall art explanation of why this is happening, sure. That would be what I would go with. Anyways, obvious kit hit on the head by Mr. Fucking Creepy Shorts, and yes, he is, the bad thing happens to him. Then Bobby's dad, who's like this lumberjack dude, comes and is looking for him the entire time with the brother of Akun, his friend with the George Foreman grill forehead, yep. and he arrives and finds out what's going on, and a fight ensues between Takaki and Scientist Man, and Bobby and his father. Bobby's dad gets fucked up. Yeah, they <laughs> he throws Bobby off a cliff, and yes. then gets owned and <laughs> falls down the cliff. Well, what's funny is that he saves... He he gets a hold of Bobby's unconscious body while he's been partially transformed. All the kids that have so far have been thrown in this, like, red pool of... I'm assuming it's acid of some sort. It's, 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 it's transforming their heads into robot heads, but it's also, like, burning their skin off. Like, so just the nerves, like, of the under... of the exposed skin underneath are there. Uh, yeah, Dad is able to mounting climb his way into this facility where he keeps the melted kids he is able to pull bobby out of the tank before he's fully roboticized and then a fight ensues with creepy shorts and creepy shorts fucked up son and then he runs away with bobby's unconscious body and this is the best part to save bobby he throws him off a cliff but then creepy shorts also pushes him off a cliff and he dies <laughs> i think that's very funny yeah, we haven't worked out why that happened, but it just does, okay? Yeah, well, yeah. I guess he, he lovingly threw him off a cliff, whereas the Creepy Shorts evilly threw him off a cliff. So Bobby is brought back or stumbles upon Old Man Lucky Monkey and his animal friends. I think so. And this is where the movie gets very funny. This is where the movie gets good. He, um, so what happens is Bobby wakes up unconscious at the bottom of this, like, underground grotto cliff that all the dead bodies have been, like, thrown off of, I guess. That's just, like, where they dump dead bodies. And his friend, Takashi or Takaki or whatever, is at the bottom and says, you can escape through here. 
uh, just go go back and save my girlfriend if you can. You know, I'm dead. My bo- <laughs> his body is in half for whatever reason. Just the top half of him is left. His torso is just bleeding and like there's gore everywhere. Anyway, Bobby is motivated to come back and save the one girl who's still alive and human. Uh, so he escapes, collapses by the side of the river, and then the, the weird drooling monkey that attacked him in the bathroom drags him back to old man Lucky Monkey's house. And he is all fucked up. His skin's all melted. His eyes are like... His eyeballs are like pulled out of their sockets and into weird robot squares and whatever. It's hard to describe because it's just so weird looking. He's got like a it box looks like Brack from the Brack yes. show. If he was all skin, right? If a human body was morphed into a Brack, that is what he looks like. There you go. Um, so he's all fucked up. He's all bracky. But what happens is that he can no longer wear human clothes. Uh, he will not. Old Man Lucky Monkey will not allow him to wear tidy whities. Um, and instead, he gives him armor that is like a bunch of old robot parts. Maybe these are the corpses of other dead kids, or maybe it's armor that was made specifically for the robots or something. It's not really clear what it is. But there is a montage where essentially Bobby is turned into a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle robot thing. And he assembles a crack team of animal friends that he's met along the way who are going to help him do this infiltration mission and like shut down this facility. So we have the fucking crazy monkey. That's one friend. Then Bobby's cat, who was almost killed in an earlier altercation in the beginning of the movie where they fought a dog. Uh, the cat was thrown off a cliff into an o- into the river, but is uh, patched up. And now the cat is here. Derek the cat is here to help. And then a weird fucking bat that just, like, it only eats, like, people's bodily fluids. Like, eats, like, weird sludge and shit. There was a bat that was found. They found Akun and Bobby found this bat in the woods earlier. And it's completely unrelated to the plot. They just found a bat. And they saved the bat by giving it, like... I don't know, like apple applesauce or something. Mm-hmm. And now the bat loves him and they are best friends. And anytime someone's gore, bloody gore is like spilled on the floor, the bat rushes over to, to lick it up for whatever reason. <laughs> anyway, uh, Bobby is now an, an armored Ninja Turtle monster man. And he has a team of three animal friends to help him. And they storm the facility. <laughs> this part totally changed my mind on the movie. The first part, I think fucking sucks. But uh-huh. this part, he suits up Jinro style. With, yes. like, an acidic super soaker, he builds his own mech suit, like he's fucking Iron Man, assembles a team of a fucked up monkey, a fucked up cat, and a crazy bat, and he's like, I'm gonna go fuck shit up. And what's crazy is he's not just going for the girlfriend, he's like, I want revenge. Yeah, I'm gonna fuck this place, I'm gonna shut down this facility. It goes so hard. Now, I have a question. Hmm. Which, like, we're taking in the online quiz, which one are you? Of the crack um, team. Are you uh, fucked up Ninja Turtle man with an acid gun? Are you fucked up monkey, fucked up cat, or crazy bat? I almost think the monkey's too cool for anyone to be. <laughs> the monkey's really cool. You can't be the monkey. I'd probably be the cat. I think you'd be the cat. Yeah, the cat goes the cat goes fucking hard. The cat goes hard. Yeah, I don't think I'm as crazy as the bat is. I'm the all. bat. I'm the bat all the way. Yeah, you're like Bobby and Monkey too cool. I'm the bat that eats up <laughs> sludge. He just eats sludge. The bat just eats sludge. It's so funny. I, I don't think you eat sludge, but if you think it's funny, then you might be the bat. If we were gonna, if we were to assemble a party to storm a robot facility, I think I'd be the sludge eating guy. I do love that the comedy is the equivalent of like watching someone kick someone in the balls or something. Yeah, the, the, there's not much comedy in this, but when there is comedy, it's like someone someone's eyeball popped out after getting shot in the head, and then the bat a bat 
flies into screen on screen and eats the eats the eyeball. That's like the comedy. <laughs> is that like the Evil Dead movie? I don't. It's kind of Evil Deady in that way. Yeah, it's like campy campy comedy in the middle of horror that doesn't really fit very well. But it 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 kind of fits into the thing that this feels like it's a story for kids that went too far. You know, it's like instead of the instead of the part in the story in like you know in a superhero. I don't know, in a Power Rangers style adventure, Super Sentai adventure where there was kids involved, this level of violence would be smoothed out, you know? They would kind of yada 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 over the parts where people's eyeballs melt and hands are you know burned with acid and stuff. That would be like, oh, they punched the guy real good. Or when a guy gets shot with a gun, he like falls over and there's no no blood. Like this is like, what if you had that same story, but all the gore and horror and guts, like, you know, Cronenberg does Power Rangers. Like, when they punch the bad guy, his head, like, cracks and part of his skull, like, pops out and then a bat eats it. Like Yeah, what it, if Dragon Ball Z was, like, Fist of the North Star? Like, exactly, Krillin yeah. Krillin doesn't get cut in half, he gets, like, dismembered. Yeah, like, all, and then his, like, intestines fall on Goku's head and stuff. Like, it's, it's, it's the story told with the most extreme version of the violence. But the story being told is, like, campy, goofy, campy horror with some very light juvenile comedy in it. You know? And everyone has rage comic as reaction faces. Everyone's face is is, is like an, a foo face. <laughs> yeah, my face one. Yeah. So you want to detail the climax, then we'll get into the last part of the uh, thing. Yes. Uh, so Bobby, after being horribly badly burned, Bobby is horribly burned. All of his skin is gone. He is only the layer underneath the layer of skin. Um, he puts on a robot armor and then suddenly is able to fight like crazy. He's like a fighting machine. Uh, he is able to scale a mountain with his bare hands, and a bat is able to lift a door. A, a flying bat that is maybe six inches large <laughs> is able to lift a door up a cliff. Um, a monkey carries a cat on its back. No, he's carrying a cat in his little turtle shell backpack. Uh, and they scale the, the side of this cliff and are able to enter the facility where they go on to wreak havoc. They fuck some people up. Uh, now, you got one thing wrong. Bobby doesn't have acid, an acid-shooting gun. He has acid spewing holes from his palms, and his gun is a super soaker that shoots flaming liquid, like a napalm gun. Like Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, he has Spider-Man goop coming from his hands, but it burns instead of sticks. Just like Spider-Man. Just like Spider-Man. Yeah, the part when the goop shoots from his hands is really gross. Yeah, I was like... Uh, okay, one thing we didn't really talk about is that the pieces of paper, we talked about how they get burned and, and you know drenched in water and stuff. Every hole... Like every orifice on a human's body is is on the puppet pieces of paper, like you know the pieces of paper. They cut little holes, and like goop is always coming out of them when something bad happens to them. Like there's a lot of puking and like weird yellow gross shit comes out of the the part of the mouth of the puppet when they throw up, or when someone gets punched. Like blood is like flying everywhere. Uh, there's like gore and like weird like Spider-Man goop is coming out of their the holes in their hands. It's all very visceral and very physically like felt when you look at the picture like that you're watching. Yeah, he has a bottle somewhere, and whenever he needs it, he goes yeah. and gets some goop. He sprays the goop. <laughs> He's like spraying gack, you know, Nickelodeon gack out of these things. Anyway, yeah, he like yells at his assistant in his like 800 square foot room. Get the goop. Get off the top bunk and get the goop. <laughs> we need more goop. Um, so. Uh... Oh, there's one thing we didn't talk about. The worst goop, the worst part, I think, in the entire thing. This is the part where I was like, I might want to stop watching this. Is when uh, Bobby's, like, uh, fucked up colon is, like, exposed. Yeah, that was weird. That is, like, 
What the? Maybe that's why Bobby couldn't wear underwear anymore. Mm. Bobby's Bobby's like butt cheeks are melted off. Not we don't watch the butt cheeks melt off. It's just it's assumed that he no longer has like the layers of fat that are on the outer layer of your body. So he like doesn't have a butt anymore. He has like a weird, gross. They show this in the movie. He has a weird, gross like tube coming out of his ass, and weird goop comes out of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what to say. It's just it's gross. Like, I guess it's just like it's supposed to be the hole from his con like whatever leads from your intestines out the back of your body. That's like and and for whatever reason they focus on it and are like that part isn't developed yet, so you can't wear armor on it. So the entire time that Bobby is storming this facility, shooting people with napalm, super soakers, and splat, like splatting them with like acid goop from his hands, the drawing, the puppet of Bobby, the little, the little, it, for whatever reason, they draw his little butthole sticking out of the bottom of the turtle robot man. He's like fully armored up as a as like a RoboCop, but the one part of him that is visible is his weird, like exposed butt. Look, Uchicha is a psycho more than we are. So, you know, leave it. If you're that kind of sicko, watch this movie. I'm not this that is, kind of sicko. Yeah, this is sicko shit. But it's like, it's it's like, I guess you'd say it's in the Cronenbergian vein of sicko shit. Where it's like, it's just gross. It's There's nothing to be gotten out of this except that it's just gross. <laughs> I thought it was like a joke because he's like, oh, that armor must not fit right. Yeah, your butthole can't be covered by the armor. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of a joke, but it's it's a joke that's played for the rest of the movie, which is like forty more minutes, right, or thirty more minutes. Yeah, it's like scatological humor. It's very scatological, but it's very funny because it's like, it's he never forgets to draw it when they're storming this facility and kicking ass. There's like a little bit, a little bit of it just poking out. Anyways, no more focusing on that. Um, Bobby storms the facility. Uh, he kicks the ass of the creepy shorts guy's assistant, who is the woman who first introduced them to the Violence Voyager amusement park. She's essentially like the Igor. She's helping out with his fucked up evil plan. And she has a little iPad that activates a giant fucked up robot version of all these other people. And it essentially fucks Bobby up and fucks up the rest of the crew. Everyone gets their asses kicked until the, the fucked up bat <laughs> manages to distract the woman and knock the iPad out of her hand and it like malfunctions the robot because it was like the controller or whatever. Um, then she gets acid spewed in her face. The bat eats her face. Blah 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 blah. We move into the facility, and then we essentially have what is the final showdown between uh, the Takashi robot fucked up little guy, and it's in the room with all the kids who are melted. The little uh, girl he's there to save is on like a table, and he's gonna like, who knows what he's gonna do to her? But she's in a precarious position, and we didn't talk about it. There's a giant Cthulhu, like, fucked up radioactive chicken monster that's, like, two stories high in the in the room, right? What is that thing? What is that? What's that thing? That's, like, the ultimate Cronenbergian monster thing. It's, like, a weird... I, I think it looks like a chicken. It looks like a thing. It's kind of, like, half chicken, half, like, tube monster thing. And the creepy shorts guy calls it Mother. And it is the... Um, it is the... It is the the tool or the bio biological tool monster thing that they use to melt the children down into a digestible substance for other robot children to sustain themselves. So these fucked up robot kids who have been melted by the acid uh, no longer can consume normal food, I guess. So they have to eat like weird, like gross, like uh, human liquid that's been melted further by this acid solution. Uh, so that's a major 
element in this final showdown is that there's a weird fucked up monster there. Anyway, uh, Takashi Robot and Bobby fight. There is some fire. There's some acid. And then uh, that is when your favorite scene happens, right? Yeah, basically, while there's a fight going on between Bobby and Takaki, some comedy tier music plays, and it just shows you a random conveyor belt. And the bald guy comes through on his belly sliding on the conveyor belt and just, like, falls off of it. Yeah, he's it's like, like, don't forget about me. you come back. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Uh, yeah, you've stumbled into my, into my lair, my perfect plan. Also, I was just in the other room. I had to jump on the conveyor belt and pop out over there. It's very funny. Yeah, even with all the memes, like, Bobby's a fucking badass. And, like, there's this giant... He beats Mechagodzilla. He shows up. There's, like, an Evangelion monster in Takaki. Yes. He gets cut open by the Mechagodzilla, just duct tapes it, and Giga Chads his way through. Yeah. And then this bald guy... This bald guy just comes through a fucking conveyor belt and is like, I've arrived. It's awesome. See, but this part, this is when it really feels like this is literally Power Rangers. You know what I'm saying? Like, these guys are fighting monsters, they're kicking ass, they're taking names, they're getting battle damage, and then, like, a fucking weird guy goes, and then he, like, flips the switch and more fucked up, like, monsters attack. It's really, like, it's so stupid. It's so fucking stupid. But it's very funny, and it, it doesn't feel like it fits until you think about, like, to me, it didn't make any sense until I really thought about, like, this is in the context of so many other children's media just taken to the nth degree. Um, yeah, that's fair. Anyways, yeah, uh, for whatever reason, the fight's going back and forth. Bobby gets fucked up. Takashi gets fucked up. This dude gets fucked up. I, I don't exa remember exactly what happens, but in the scuffle, the fucked up monster mother bird thing gets a, gets a pipe thrown, like a metal pipe is thrown through it, piercing it, and it flips out, and a bunch of partially digested, like, robot children, like, crawl out of it, naked and melted and fucked up, and they start causing havoc, and that essentially causes the downfall of the facility. The kids start going haywire and attacking everybody. They start fucking up the the the, um, the the computer systems that run the facility, and fires start breaking out. So shit gets fucked up as soon as they they like start messing with this mother monster thing. And then after that, I think the facility is these the facility is all on fire, and the special effects are going really good. This is when the the director is now burning all of his like you know puppets that he's probably spent three years making everything's on fire and all it's cool you can see all the all the puppets like are catching fire and it to me it looks like he took a bunch of firecrackers and lit them in front of this the diorama it's very funny with the way that the fire is going off yeah so the monkey bat and cat all oh yeah they come back sacrifice themselves mm -hmm. so bobby can get enough time to ooze oh yeah did he eat the ooze no, Bobby goes, I'm I'm gonna ooze. And oh, he shoots his oh, oh, that part, right. He shoots his... His his ooze goes from being like a little spray to like a laser beam of acid that he blasts Takaki with. Is that's that, The way that shot is very funny. That's like a Dragon Ball Z moment because you see like the beam shooting out. It was literally, he was building up the Kamehameha and all the other animals had to dive so he could bite them. Yeah, it's like Goku is charging the spirit bomb and everyone's getting their ass kicked by an unstoppable robot baby. That scene is awesome. That scene rocks. Yeah, the ending of this is so over the top, and it really rules. Uh, so yeah, Bobby shoots uh, Takashi baby fucked up robot with his laser beam hands and melts his face. And that essentially is the final defeat of this crew of evil dudes. But before it's all over, uh, creepy, uh, 
Creepy Shorts grabs his son, the fucked up robot kid, and self-destructs him along with the facility. Uh, and Bobby shields girlfriend from the blast with his robot body armor. And then everyone else in the facility is essentially dead or burned or, you know, fucked up beyond uh, survival. Except for Bobby and girlfriend, who then have a very weird way of... They just kind of weirdly go down the mountain and the movie ends in the... The fun, this is a very bizarre way, which is like a, a narrator voiceover is talking about like Bobby the hero ninja robot and how he's going to have further adventures. It's like this is the origin story of a Ninja Turtle robot, but it's like a fucked up nightmare Ninja Turtle. Yeah, it's kind of like the reality of like a superhero's origin story. Honestly, it's kind of like the reality of the Ninja Turtles because the Ninja Turtles got radioactive ooze on them and became human. Uh, so if they were real, they probably would look more like Melted Bobby than they would look like Ninja Turtles doing movies and stuff. Right? More like Toxic Avenger. Yeah, they would be tox more Toxic Avenger than they would be Ninja Turtles. They'd be a fucked up, melted, radioactive dudes. And that is essentially what Bobby is. And the end of the movie is a narration as though you're going to see the further adventures of Bobby the Toxic Avenger. Uh, which is very off-putting with what everything we've just been through. But it again is, I think, contextually in line with this being a really fucked up version of like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles slash Power Rangers slash, I don't know, whatever other kids media, but through the lens of Cronenberg or some other, you know, disturbed horror director. Also, with this very, like, uh, heroic narrator, he goes home and sees his mom. He right. just sends the little girl naked home in, like, a yeah, coat. Yeah, he's like, all he's right, like, good luck. Yeah, good luck with your, you know, fucked up life. And then, and yeah, this he weird robot monster shows up all cut up and is like, I'm home, mom. And his <laughs> mom's like in a coma, just staring out into space. It's funny because and... the mom is like, you can do it, Bobby. I, I have faith in you, but you're really fucked up. I mean, she doesn't say that, but <laughs> she says, yeah, it's just general optimistic encouragement of Bobby who looks like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> and the movie just ends on her like stone face staring out into like the galaxy. Yeah, she and she is the only person with a normal facial expression, but not for this situation. <laughs> this is the one time maybe you would have a fucked up crazy facial expression because your your weird fucked up son just walked through the door. But she's just like, oh, hey, Bobby, it's cool. I'm glad you're back. Also, her husband died and she doesn't give a shit about that. <laughs> so I thought this last thing would be fun to go through. This, this has been fun. We're having yeah. fun. I'm actually having so, fun. Let's go ahead and go over this last article real quick. Yes. Anyway. So we have one more article. I found this blog and I thought it would be interesting to go through. Let's do the it. aspect that is probably the most controversial is the depiction of children in the extremely violent scenarios. I found a blog that probably takes the stance that a lot of, if not most people would take regarding this aspect of the film. There are some other criticisms about how it caters to a very particular niche of campy B horror and all of that. But this is definitely going to be number one, assuming they can get past the art style itself. Let's go ahead and explore that viewpoint and maybe argue against it, and of course maybe argue amongst ourselves. Starting again, uh, this is from the blog The Backloggers, and the article is titled Violence Voyager Review, A Horror-Filled Journey into Gekimation. Uh, there are multiple people who uh, are giving their opinions on this. So we're gonna scroll down to the one we wanted to read. This is from the contributor Tofu and his section where he talks about depiction of children in violent situations. All right, here's his uh, uh, opinion. Now, here's the thing. I like horror and horror adjacent films. Horror is a fascinating subject for the many ways in which it can explore elements of the human condition in ways that other kinds of media simply are not able to competently do. 
The exploration of the brutality and sheer unfairness of life, for instance, is explored in such an interesting way in this film. Honestly, depending on the film, I can even get down with a fair bit of gore if the ideas and narrative of the film genuine, genuinely benefit from its inclusion in a way that is not exploitative. Uh, this is this is the soy cringe opinion. This is the Reddit opinion. Really? You think so? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Oh, uh, I was like, this is like fair, balanced horror movie fan of like... <laughs> yeah, guy gives, I don't... Guy gives a nuanced and uh, uh, open-minded opinion. I go, ugh, Reddit cringe, so a guy. I wouldn't even say it's open-minded. I think it's just saying like, I'm willing to tolerate weird really? shit yeah that's, that's as open-minded as i need you to be if, you're, if i'm going to show you violence voyager uh that that being said continuing on that being said the decision to take this idea of a campy gore-filled horror film and have its ire and those themes of unfairness and brutality inflicted continuously on children is not something that i can really get down with see the thing is when you're watching horror films you should honestly have somewhat of an expectation about these kinds of things not every horror flick is just going to be the cycle be a psychological thriller sometimes people's heads are going to go uh, are going to get a mallet taken to them or some limbs and digits are going to be separated from their bodies i'm not the biggest fan of it because sometimes it is just gratuitous for no real reason aside from shock factor but regardless of my feelings about it when it is present the con uh the constant seems to be that it always happens to adults even in some of the most gruesome films i've seen the violence is never enacted on children Okay, so cutting off there, I was watching a movie review from Penguin Zero, or Charlie Moist Critical, and he was talking about some one of these new horror movies, I think it was The New Evil Dead, and he's like, I hated in the movie that there was a little girl character, and I knew they would never hurt the little girl character, so even when they teased it, I knew nothing would happen. So he's right. like, I, I mean, kind of hate that they would part. do that. Right in Jurassic Park, when the T-Rex is outside the car, you know the kids aren't going to get hurt or whatever. Any any adult in that car might go out of the car and get eaten by the T-Rex, but you know the kids will be looking out of the car, ooh, I'm scared of the T-Rex, but they're probably going to be fine. Yeah, there's a set of assumptions that you make watching horror movies of a certain kind for a certain audience. I kind of just hate watching, like, an R-rated film and, like, that's somehow too much is, like, to harm right. a child character. Well, I think we live in a time where now those assumptions... Those assumptions aren't just taken for granted you know we've we've all not all of us but we've at least know generally about game of thrones we know about that style of you know storytelling where the idea is that no one no one is safe even the characters you think would normally be safe so i think it's a little bit at this point in time with tv and movies and film and stuff i think we're mostly past that it's obviously personal personal you know a personal preference and subjective and whatever but i think the idea that you can go to a movie and assume things won't happen to certain types of people at certain times in movies. I think mostly we move past that. I literally don't even like that aspect of the film. I've even said that I hate the entire first like chunk of the movie because of that. But I still think it should be allowed to exist and I'm not offended by it. I just think it's bad. I, that's it, literally. I think you think it should get Uji, Ujicha on a list or something because of what he might do. No, I actually don't. I think that it's just kind of boring. I literally think there's no point. You feel like it's more done for shock value or whatever. I don't even think it's done for shock value. I think this guy's just weird. I mean, Mm -hmm. like, I think a lot of the stuff the Chainsaw Man guy does is just because he's weird. I don't think it's... I don't think he's, like, soying out, like, typing, like, an edgelord Reddit comment. Like, this is really going to make the libs mad. I don't think he's as that he's a weird guy that lives with his parents right sure well there's a thing that i think uh coming from one set of movie and media 
uh, assumptions than going to a different culture's movie and media assumptions uh, that will be off-putting for people. And I think, actually it was in the other movie review we read, the one that was The Poor Boy Had No Idea. We actually stopped reading it right before the last paragraph. And they actually mentioned something that I was going to bring up entirely independent of this article. It was an idea that I had that has nothing to do with what we were talking about before, but uh, I see this as fitting in, the, art, the article actually talks about this, I see this as fitting in along the lines of something like The Drifting Classroom. Have you ever read that? I mean, it's a it's a relatively kind of older manga, but it's all about kids being put in kind of like a cosmic horror situation. They're kids in a high school, uh, kids in a middle school maybe? I don't know exactly how, maybe younger than that, elementary or middle school. They're pretty young kids and their school gets transported to a different dimension and like fucked up shit happens to them. And this was like a very famous mainstream you know, Japanese manga from the 70s or the 80s, I think. Um, and it, 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 Violence Voyager reminded me of it a lot in terms of how it viewed like kids and danger, you know? Uh, I think there is, what would you call it? Like a lineage? There's like a line that you can draw between Violence Voyager and the things that came before it. And the drifting classroom is definitely in that line. It, it directly connects to it. And there are other things that branch off from it. Uh, and I think there's definitely a not a place for, but there is a place that's been carved out by weird manga creators and anime creators and, you know, people making things for any range of people. I don't know if The Drifting Classroom was for kids. Maybe it wasn't, but uh, it definitely contains, you know, tons of weird body horror and violence and strange things happening to kids. And it doesn't compromise the way you'd assume manga would, you know, adventure manga for, you know, shonen age, you know, reading audiences and stuff. So I don't know what you, I don't I don't know what you make of that, but it, it's interesting because I think I see it very much in line with that. I don't think I have like a strong opinion on it. I literally just think that like my thing has always been if you're gonna do something, I'd rather you just commit whole cell to it. And I don't like the idea of certain media like teasing it, but I know it's never gonna happen. And I also simultaneously just. I don't, I, it's not that the weirdness gets me, because I don't think it is shock, I think Saw is shock horror. I think that, like, there's shock jock radio and all that with, uh, whatever that old dude Howard Stern is or whatever. But this weird guy does not intend to shock you. You're not supposed to soy out and, like, want a Funko Pop of the little Brackman. You're supposed to just be like, wow, this guy is fucking weird. And, and, um, I just get nothing out of that, because it's just weird for weird sake, and... Yeah, I mean, I think weird for weird's sake is definitely something I'm down with. Um, I really, I really, um, I mean, I didn't like that there was weird, like, melted, you know, shit coming out of these kids and they're being, you know, turned into wax and whatever. There's a creepy guy with weird shorts on. I mean, all that stuff's uncomfortable, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe it wasn't as a... Maybe it wasn't as disturbing for me or it wasn't as visceral or a reaction for me. Something about it, like, it, it bothered me in the way that watching bad things happen to people in a movie bothers you. But I think there was enough layers between me, like, the things that I was looking at and focusing on. There was so much that I was paying attention to that was beyond the content of the, you know, the literal gore and stuff that was happening. Yeah, I feel bad for the characters, but they're also popsicle sticks, so... Literally, I yes. That was literally how I felt, was, like, I think it's gross that there was, like, some weird goop on the screen but it's mostly because i was like ah i don't like that weird goop that looks like gross weird goop but it wasn't uh, yeah it wasn't like vomiting alongside the characters being beheaded in like whatever yeah they're popsicle sticks what am i i mean he the 
Ujita is showing us the popsicle, pop, popsicle sticks burning and exploding, and there are little pieces of paper that fly around on the screen. So there's degrees to how seriously I take some of this stuff that's happening. And it's all so surreal. And it's so, I mean, fairy tale and surreal kind of, kind of sometimes go kind of hand in hand, depending on who's telling the story. Uh, you know, like Alice in Wonderland or something. Uh, it was so surreal and removed in this fairy tale way, you know, this fable-y kind of way of telling the story that, yes, I was dragged back into reality every time something really, like, life a life-changing injury or weird body horror happens and stuff. But then it kind of, like, melts back. You know, I kind of melt back away from it as uh, as the weirdness and surrealness of the story kind of, like, rushes back in. There's moments this film, of physical This film stuff. is largely novelty, but there is something with it that allows me to just totally, not forgive, but just be like, okay, whatever, about all the weird shit, because it's, it's more, it has more artistic merit to it, even though people might engage with it in a very shallow manner. And it provides probably a more interesting commentary on shit without trying to do so and the people who watch it and how they interpret the movie. So it's almost like a discussion point movie. And I feel like it really exposes people's like how they process media. Because if you look at a lot of reviews for this, they're like, oh, it's like, and then they just name random weird Japanese horror movies. And it's like, this has nothing in common with Gozu or all these other weird movies. Yeah, you were triggered when someone is, said this is like Gozu. I think it's like, I don't know if it's like racist, but it kind of is to just a little. No, I agree. Yeah, it's. I it's will just say weird. If you if you forced me to make connections between this and Gozu, sure, I could draw some. There's a surreal element. There's a spacey weirdness to the storytelling. But yeah, ultimately, it's not really anything like Gozu. Um, I will say that you made a good point. Like this is kind of like a uh, a litmus test for how people uh, interact with you know receive their weird media and stuff. Uh, and for me, uh, do you know this, this concept, the alienation effect? It's kind of like a theater concept. Right. So I think people who are maybe, mm, if you're a more weird, pretentious person like me and like art and stuff like that, when stuff that, be, when stuff that creates greater distance between you and the media that you're watching, like you become more audience and the media becomes more media on film and stuff. I definitely like I pay attention to that stuff a lot and that has that effect of taking me out of like I'm not I'm not going oh no they Ujicha is a, is a Ujicha is probably doing weird shit in his basement he's probably tying up kids because he murdered popsicle sticks on screen like I think some people take this more personally because they they get absorbed into the storytelling and they don't create a distance between themselves and what they're watching even with all of the layers that have been created by the by the director. Like Ojicha, very consciously, I don't know this guy personally, but just from looking at this art, I'm gonna, you know, looking, looking at the thing that he made, I can see that he worked hard to create a distance between me and the thing that I'm watching. You know? He created so many layers of distance by making the weird way that people talk, the strange things that happen, the, the surrealness of the story, the, the media itself, the popsicle sticks and the way that they're drawn, the crazy faces, everything. the comedic music, yes, absolutely. The comedic music, the timing, the comedic timing of things, all of that stuff serves to create greater distance between me and taking personally when I see Grill Kid get his like eyeball shot out or whatever.
You know what I'm saying? So it, it's very much like everyone has a different level of that, you know, distance that they create when they watch stuff. And yeah, it's, it's more about how far do you get yourself removed when you watch this thing and what's happening to the characters. Yeah, and like I said, I, I don't have too strong of an opinion on it. I just, it didn't make me think about it though and like maybe i should like flush that out more because um it looks like everyone's reaction i've seen to this movie i just think is like very short-sighted or like boring as can fucking po possibly be and it's like i feel like no one engaged with this film beyond like wow japan is wacky and it's just like it's just so fucking lame dude you watch this insane popsicle stick movie and got nothing out of it yeah I, it's a very it's a very uh uh, cliche story you know it's very it's very surface level the story itself being told but there's a lot going on under the surface in my opinion and there's a lot to be taken from it if you want to you know analyze it with some honesty like you want to really say that this isn't just schlocky the next schlocky anime of 2018 or 2023 or whatever this is a thing a guy worked hard on to make it as weird as fuck as possible and there's some stuff that you can look at in there that you might analyze and find interesting i think there's something going on there for for sure for sure yeah and there's um, movies like this that i i don't think people really wanted to give the time of day that are like weird but they're not and they're on these like top 10 weird lists or whatever uh like what perfume making a murder um what else mind game i guess maybe shit shit like that and it's like yeah, people people might watch Mind Game and go, "Ooh, look at funny anime." There's a ra so lol, so random that there's a bird and a and a whale. <laughs> yeah, and I love dumb movies. I'm not like some pretentious art loser. I just, I, it's funny. I'm just saying that, um, literally, if go ahead, look up all the reviews to this. It's just like, I I don't know if I watched the same movie. I have no idea and. I, I don't think it's great, I've but I've said to you, I think there's a great movie underneath all of this. Yeah, well, what I think is, I agree with you. I think there's art in here, you know? And I'm I, like I'm kind of like, you know, uh, a greyhound for sniffing out the art in the trash. You know what I'm saying? When we watch these shitty animes, I'm looking for the thing where I go, I could actually see a case for calling this like, you know, quote unquote art. You know, there's something I can take away from this that like leads to a further uh, uh, understanding or further satisfaction from understanding an artistic idea or a process or something valuable. You know, there's some cultural value in this to me. <laughs> and I find it in shitty places. You know, I find it in weird. I find it in Black Bullet, which I shouldn't find it in. Um, but I think in Violence Voyager, it's clear and present that it's there. You just have to get a little bit past the uncomfortable, weird bullshit that's in it. Yeah, and I don't know if you have to, like, this is just like the Children of the Sea Reddit post we read, where the guy's like, oh yeah, the director said maybe I should have emotions, and it really resonated with me. And it's like, I don't know if you have to go and look up an interview with this guy or whatever to, like, understand that you, you're supposed to have emotions while watching a movie, or, like, take things in your head through like symbology or whatever instead of just like the movie telling you Thanos is stronger than Iron Man but do that if you don't already do that and it's the same thing with the Aka 13 shit where the girl's like the uniform reminded me of Nazis and it's just like can you imagine if you did that with everything yep yeah you'd just be you'd be running around at the movie theater screaming as you see every poster like running down the hall 
Um, but yeah, there's there's art to be found in these things. And I think there's it's sort of a spectrum. You know, some trash has more art in it than other trash. And then some art has a little bit of trash in it and it's mostly art. This is trash with a lot of art underneath, in my opinion. I would and, almost not call this call this schlock or trash. I would almost not say that. I think this is for an art artistic niche of people. And to most people, it is trash. Maybe, you know, we were, like, too hard on it for that or calling it, like, B-horror movie. But it is like that, but it also does something completely innovative at the same yeah. time. Well, it's, so. I guess, you, uh, to be to be more fair and more uh, open-minded to this, I think it's art in the form, <laughs> art that takes the form of schlocky B-horror, but presented in a completely unique way. And that's, like, two out of three really positive things you could say just in that one quick analysis of it. And if you like Schlocky Be Horror, then it's three out of three. You gotta watch it. <laughs> yeah, I would love to maybe do like an episode two where we just like flesh out um, like just what is horror to someone or what yeah. is blank to someone. Because, you know, I... There are some have, horror anime we could talk about, definitely. Yeah, I've maybe discovered that I want to get stronger foundations on that. Yeah. Because, you know, I find myself falling into the same traps a lot of people do with this kind of thing. And I feel like I'm not getting everything out. It's like, you're almost wasting your time if you're not being able to derive value from things you watch. Well, it depends. This is this is just my opinion, which is very subjective and very much rooted in pretentious art annoying guy. Yeah. But I think that the reason why I talk about the alienation effect and, and all of that is uh, by allowing yourself a little bit of distance away from the thing, you're not like, you're not, it's not like, oh, I'm getting, I'm, I'm leaving my friend and distance will make the heart grow strong, like fonder or whatever. And I'm just going to like write him a letter once a year or something like the distance that we're talking about is putting everything in focus. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And not everything has to be deconstruction. You correct. can just engage with something by like lining up your shot with it and just paying attention, right. literally and just paying attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a difference between, you know, when I say stepping back, what I'm really saying is don't do a cinema sins where you're zooming in. You know, we're not looking for every little stupid little thing that like, oh, the director put a coffee cup on the table or whatever. And that like takes away from the overall meaning of the film or something. And we're also not going like, oh, I can't see, you know, blood or gore because that, you know, I, I just don't like that. It's too affecting to me. Yeah. If you can create a little bit of distance between yourself and the thing, you can start to analyze like what actually is affecting you. Like, because you still have those feelings. It's just, they're turned slightly down so that you can analyze them and take away something that isn't just the emotion that you feel when you go to a horror movie. Because if you go to a horror movie and you just scream, you're screaming for two hours straight. I mean, you're kind of, you're not going to be able to really look back on it except for the high, you know, the high riding emotions that you had, the roller coaster that was happening the whole time. All right, read these last two paragraphs. Oh, sure. Yeah, we got it totally off on a tangent. Uh, the last the last thing we said is even in some of the most gruesome films I've seen, the violence in the rack. Okay, we talked about the violence enacted on children. All right, next paragraph. It's somewhat of a taboo, and for a good reason. But with a title like Violence Voyager, I suppose I should have seen that coming. It's just ludicrous how much child violence is in this film, really. Kids being bisected, having their faces melted from their skulls, having their bodies be experimented on and made into grotesque, grotesque new forms. It's just so many different ways to brutalize kids that it kind of makes your head spin. The only thing it seems to be missing is tossing a toddler into a wood chipper. Hmm. Being the kind of film that it that it is, though, uh, being the kind of film that it is, however, 
There's a, definitely a subset of viewers who will not take issue with this, and I understand that. I am not one of those viewers, however. So, obviously this person was, uh, for, you know, completely valid reasons, they were not uh, able to look past the face melting and the fucked up weird shit happening because the popsicle sticks look too much like Bobby and his friend with the grill-shaped scar on his head. Um, so, you know, so what? This person missed out, but that's okay. <laughs> you can't win them all. But it does feel like it's it's a shame that they they saw it only as that and didn't get to see anything else that it could have been. I think they enjoyed other parts of the movie, but my, my thing still is... If you watched Scooby-Doo growing up, or Danny Phantom, I guarantee Danny Phantom and Scooby-Doo has a thousand-fold ways to harm kids than this movie does. This movie has two ways. It's called cutting somebody or turning them into the Brack Monster. There's yeah, no unique way. Robot. They're turning him into the Brack Monster. That's yeah, it. I, I You're the what, Brack Monster. Yeah, What what is hard for people is that they don't want to focus on the parts that make it feel more felt, make it feel more real and more visceral. Because yes, Danny Phantom, probably, there's probably some guy who gets boiled in acid. There's probably a guy with a, who has like a crane fall on his head. Probably people get shot with lasers and ghost powers and all the fucked up things that can happen to them. And they're all kids going on adventures. But like I said before, it's like a yada, yada, yada past the uncomfortable parts. And this is something that I do look for in the things that I you know, put on that spectrum of art to trash. Uh, I look for things that are willing to not look away from the stuff that they're depicting, right? Because they put the kids in that situation. Danny Phantom did it, Scooby-Doo did it, and Violence Voyager guy all puts kids in, in dangerous situations where bad things happen to them. But one of those three is willing to show the thing that they are showing. I would just hate to show him Naruto part one where they're doing the tuning exams. And, mm -hmm. like, this person sees Gara use sand coffin on Rock yes. and they're just, yes. like, bawling their eyes out. Yes. Or they yes. see Shino put bugs into the sound ninja's arms. Yes. And, he, and they're just, like, off. screaming in the in yes. the theater. And it's like... Right. <laughs> Was he screaming I'm, as he turned the page in the manga in the Barnes & Nobles? Yeah, it's it's edgy, but it's just... It's not... It's, like, literally Danny Phantom does the same shit. It, yeah, I agree. I... Yes, right. It's just... It just... It does the thing where it says... Okay, the bad stuff's gonna happen to the kids, but don't it's don't don't worry. It's, we're not gonna show you the laser, you know, melting his face. It, it will hit him. And if I was, if you saw this happen in real life, not that Danny Phantom can be real, but if a laser hit the guy in the face, you know, it would melt his face. But whatever, it's cartoon. Uh, we're smoothing past that. It's but, like the people that unironically have to look at like R slash eye bleach and like comment on right, and drunkards right. after watching a horror movie. Right. Yeah, and I understand that because not everyone can handle it, but. <laughs> It is funny that this is like the blog where they review fucked up horror anime and the guy's like, I, I just don't want to see the bad stuff right there. I guess we're just going to be calling people out every single podcast. These fucking losers didn't watch the movie right. Yeah. <laughs> you anyway, I don't, I don't want people to be thinking that that's what I'm saying, but it is a little no, bit what we're, I'm we're just having fun. It's something. a little bit what I'm saying, but mostly the reason I ever say this sort of stuff is because I mostly feel bad for the people who missed out on the chance to take something away from this that would be productive. You know, it's mostly to their detriment that they have this reaction to it and can't engage with it. Yeah. Maybe there's a reason they can't. Maybe they have some trauma that makes it impossible for them to watch this. But barring that, mostly they're just missing out. They're just, you know, for themselves, they're missing out. I also agree with them, just not for the same reasons. Sure. I, I, I just didn't think it was, like, interesting. That's, like, literally it. 
Yeah, the parts that you were not interested by the gore, so that's fine. Let's spin this wheel. Oh yeah, well, hold on one second though. Should we do okay. a, a recommendation first? Okay, go ahead. Do you recommend Violence Voyager? If so, who would you recommend it to? Honestly, no, because if you hear about it, you already know if you'll like it or not. Mm. And if you're if you don't know if you'll like it or not, I don't think you should watch it because I don't trust you with like anything, basically. I don't <laughs> I don't think you're like a fully formed adult. Sure. If you don't know if you would like this or not from just mm -hmm. looking at screenshots of it. Right. Uh, my opinion is uh, Burning Buddha Man is better. Watch that shit. That's, that's some good shit. That's fucking crazy. That shit's really fucking crazy, and it's got less violence to children if that is something that triggers you. If, you, if that is one of your content triggers, watch Burning Buddha Man, and Violence Voyager is only for the true sickos like me, and if you can look past all the gore and all the weirdness, there is something good in there. That's it. It's time to spin that wheel. Wheel! Oh. You see the wheel? I see the wheel. Let's do this. I'm really excited. Did I already say that joke? Oh no. Oh boy. We have rolled on Dead Man Wonderland is our next anime. 